0: at GraceKettering.org. Thanks again for joining us, and enjoy the episode. Acts chapter number twenty-one, and let's look at that this morning. Acts twenty-one and verse number seventeen. If you're there, say Amen. 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 Let's read together, and we're going to read a little bit of an extended passage. So I'm going to ask for your your concentrated attention. All right. Acts twenty-one, verse seventeen. And when we were come to Jerusalem, Paul and the brethren, there's probably about seven along with them, along with with Luke, the brethren, the church, received us gladly. And the day following, Paul went in with us unto James. He was the pastor of the church there, and all the elders, the other pastors, were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe. They've come to Christ. And they are all zealous of the law. The law of Moses, especially some of the ceremonial laws. Verse 21, and they are informed of thee, that thou teachest all the Jews, which are among the Gentiles in places like Ephesus and, and Corinth and other places, to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither walk after the customs. Again, the, some of the ceremonial laws. Verse 22. What is it, therefore, the multitude need, uh, needs come together, the church needs to gather, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this, that we say to thee, we have four men which have a vow on them. Them take and purify thyself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know uh, those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing. Basically, everything they've heard about you as you've been on these missionary journeys uh, really, it's nothing because you're coming alongside of these guys making a Jewish vow, and you're actually going to pay for it. And so everyone's going to know, it, you know, the news is going to travel around town. Paul is is okay. He's he's not against us, and so on. So that's that's what James and the other pastors are suggesting. And all may know that these things are informed about verse 24. They're nothing but that thou thyself also walkest orderly and keepest the law as touching the Gentiles. All right, going back to Acts 15, which believe, we have written and concluded that uh, they observe no such thing, uh, save only that they keep themselves from uh, uh, things offered to idols, particularly food, meat, and from blood, and from strangled, and from fornication. Then Paul took the men, these men with a vow, and the next day purifying himself, with them entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offered for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews, which were of Asia, these are non-believers, when they saw him, Paul, in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law, and this place being the temple, and further brought Greeks also into the temple and hath polluted this holy place, for they had seen before with him in the city Trophimus and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. Verse thirty, and. All the city was moved and the people ran together and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple and forthwith shut on the doors were shut. And as they went about to, what is it, church? Kill him. You're still paying attention. Good job. Tidings came unto the chief uh, captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief uh, captain and the soldiers, they left beating Paul. Then uh, the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another among the multitude. And when he could not know, certainly for the tumult, he commanded him to be carried into the castle, into the fortress. Verse 35, and when he came upon the stairs, so it was that he was born of the soldiers For the violence of the people, for the multitude of the people followed after crying away with him. And Paul was led into the castle, and he said unto the chief captain, May I speak unto thee who said, Canst thou speak Greek? Uh, Art thou not the Egyptian? Uh, which before uh, these days made us an uproar and led us uh, uh, out into the wilderness, 4,000 men that were murderers. But Paul said, I am a man which am a a Jew of Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I beseech thee, suffer me to speak unto the people, to the uproar. Verse 40, and when he had given license, Paul stood on the stairs, beckoned with uh, with the hand unto the people, and there, uh, and when there was a, made a great silence, he spake unto them in the Hebrew tongue, saying, and we're going to leave his message for them until the next time. And that's all of chapter uh, 22. But let's uh, grab from this what the Lord has for us. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time in the word. I do not pray out of just a tradition. I, I literally pray right now that the Lord will calm our hearts and that he will give us what we need this morning. I am unable to feed you as I ought to feed you. Uh, that is something the Lord only can do through me. And uh, really, you're, it's not me, it is his, his word. And so I'll do my best to be faithful to the word and just to open up this narrative. It's an account, really happened. It's not just a, f- a fairy tale, it really happened. But we can learn things from it. And so let's, let's ask God to teach us this morning. Would you do that with me? You pray as I pray, Father. Uh, I just asked you this morning that by your Holy Spirit you would be our teacher, our guide in, the, in the, this, the truth that you have given us here in this passage of Scripture. Lord, I have asked this question of you this week. Why did you put this particular passage for us to read these 2,000 years later? Why did you feel it was so important that we would know and see this account? Why did we need to, to go through the... the the turmoil or the, the differences of opinions between spiritual leaders and then see all this happen to Paul, why? And Lord, I pray that you would uh, just teach us the meaning of this passage so that we might better serve you this week. You've, you have us here in this place today. You have each person here. And so I just ask that you would be our teacher and our guide. And I pray that you be glorified in, uh, in, in this, your body, uh, your church. May you be preeminent in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we've been learning along, Paul is on this the final leg of his third missionary journey. I want you to see this this uh, this timeline and just uh, catch us up to uh, up to speed here. Give us a timeline, guys, if you would. He's on this he's on this final leg. We're about fifty two A.D. I want us to really pay attention to this fact. Uh, he is coming into Jerusalem because he wants to celebrate Pentecost. Pentecost uh, was the time uh, in which uh, the church was empowered. And so uh, it was a great day for the church. And I want you to think about this. Grace Baptist Church is 39 years old at the end of September this year. Next year will be our 40th anniversary as a church. That's pretty awesome. But this church in Jerusalem was about 20 years of age. And so it had been operating for 20 years. There has been much preaching that had been going on and, and so on. And so Paul is is really hightailing it back to Jerusalem. He wants to be there for Pentecost. There's a couple reasons. He's carrying an offering from all the Gentiles, including Corinth, And other Gentiles around in the different areas that he had been preaching the gospel he's carrying an offering from these believers we call it a love offering basically it was a gift because there was much suffering going on in Jerusalem especially as people followed the Lord they they would have been boycotted in their businesses but there was also some famine and so on going on so there's an offering coming so there was much urgency on the part of the Apostle Paul to get to Jerusalem and really greet the unbelievers there congratulate them on the uh, the amount of time God has been using them over those Past 20 years, it was really just a high moment for Paul. Nothing could dissuade him. He really wanted to get to Jerusalem. He felt pressed in his spirit to go there. And from there, God would um, bring him to, uh, to Rome. So he wanted to go there. And it's really amazing, as he would get there, his goal was to declare, this is how big God is. He is, he is uh, his gospel wasn't just for the Jew. Salvation and eternal life and the forgiveness, the full forgiveness of sin is not just for the Jew. It is also for the Greek. And there's been many in the Gentile areas of the world that have received the Lord Jesus Christ and are walking in faith. And one of my sidekicks is this Timothy guy who I found in Lystra. He came to the Lord, and then he joined me on my on my second missionary journey he's just been growing in the Lord and now he's gonna become a pastor over in Ephesus it's just all these exciting exciting things that Paul is gonna bring back and you think about that God is really big to take what is what is is catastrophic like uh, cosmic uh, racial and uh, uh, ethnic divides between the Jew and the Greek and bring them together in the Lord Jesus Christ and so I I just wanna say again uh, you will not find the idea of racism or disparaging one ethnic group from another in, in Scripture. Jesus Christ brings us together. And so I, I, I praise the Lord for that. And, and, and that's very important. In a day where that's talked about a lot, the answer is not just ev- everyone getting together, what can we do? The answer is Jesus Christ in your heart who gives you love for your, uh, your brother no matter what their skin color is or no matter where they came from or no matter what their culture is. We are able to deal with that. We're able to appreciate one another. And so Paul is coming back and he's going to declare the wonderful works of God. How big is our God? He's big. He cares about the people in Grenada. He cares about the people in, over in Hilliard, Ohio. He cares about the people on the west side. He cares about them. He's brought the gospel of preachers to their midst and he, and he cares about them. So Paul's coming back to give this announcement and really to celebrate the wonderful works of God during on the season of Pentecost But here's the thing. He did not meet such a happy A happy welcome. There was a warm welcome on the first day But things came to a screeching halt and we'll get to that But I just want us to realize Paul very quickly faced a challenge when he came back to Jerusalem very quickly and that's going to be the topic of our of our study today is really following Paul through this challenge and to see how it goes (laughs) uh somewhat from bad to worse all right you say i came to be encouraged there's lots of encouraging lessons we can learn in difficult situations all right and uh you might be in a situation where you face a challenge and you will use one of these lessons uh that we're going to learn today so notice paul's challenge that he faced first of all he comes there and i already mentioned that there on that first day the bible says the brethren received him how not sadly but gladly, gladly, and so there was a warm welcome. I can just imagine as you aim into the town there, there are people in their shops, maybe the woodworking shop, the grocery store, uh, the meat store, and they 're seeing Paul walk through town hey paul 's in the area I remember I remember way back when he, when he would travel all over to persecute people isn 't God big how he 'd take that persecutor and turn him into a preacher, and then God big, and so there 's a warm reception from those. That, that didn't have a bigger view of what was going on in Jerusalem. And so on the meeting on the first day really was a warm reception, but if you'll notice, very quickly in verse number, um, verse number uh, uh, 17, uh, verse number 18, look at it with me, and the day following Paul went in with us unto James and all the elders that were present. So it was very quickly there to there's, say, there's hey, uh, Paul, we need to meet with you. Now, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sidebar here for a second. Uh, when pastor and, 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 and the, the relationship between pastor and uh, the church is to be a warm it's, it's a shepherdly relationship uh, so sometimes people go, what does pastor want me to meet with me for why is he asking me to meet or you know th- that type of thing or why is he calling me uh, you know, saying come meet me in my office that type of stuff there's, there's this, this fear I get this fear like right now uh, Paul we need to meet with you all right, so I, I want to say this. I love meeting and having coffee and spending time with, uh, with the people of Grace Baptist Church. Uh, and, and we ought to develop that relationship. By the way, that's two-way, right? It's two-way. Well, pastor didn't call me. Uh, well, maybe, maybe if something's on your heart, call and say, hey, pastor, can we go out to coffee? And, and, and we'll, we'll go about it that way. But uh, there it ought to be a warm relationship here. But I just notice here, things got awkward quick. So here it is on the second day. They get together, and uh, he reports particularly the wonderful works of God. This is all that God has done, and he tracks it all the way through Asia and through Macedonia and through Achaia, the wonderful works of God. Here's what God's doing. This is amazing. This is awesome. Here's what God's doing, and the Bible says that they praise the Lord. They praise the Lord. Now, isn't that interesting? They praised the Lord, and that's what we'd expect, but it didn't, it didn't stay there long. They glorified the Lord, and the, even the tense of the, of the word that is used there is the idea that they praised the Lord while they were thinking about something else. Have you ever talked to somebody and something else is on their mind, you can see it? Like they're gunning for something? Well, this is the idea of this, this meeting, so you can kind of um, feel this meeting. James has something on his heart. Praise the Lord for what God's done over there in Macedonia. I need to get to something, Paul, and you even sense it there in verse number 19. And when he saluted them, he declared it, verse number 20, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, they glorified the Lord, and in the same sentence they said unto him, "Uh, Brother, the congregation is going to be coming together, and we're going to have problems. There's going to be sparks that fly because they've heard some things about your ministry second and third hand, and they think that you've been going around and just telling people to abandon the law of Moses and, and turn their backs on this, and you've been teaching against. And so they've heard all this, and, and it's going to cause a problem. Now what do we do? And so there, there was a, a, a concern that was expressed. The believing Jews, particularly the believing Jews who were still zealous About the ceremonial laws circumcision uh, some of the the uh, the ceremonial laws up at the temple. They were still zealous about this. They believed in Christ, but they were still zealous about some of these things. They were going to be uh, uh, they were going to be upset. They're going to struggle with Paul's presence in the assembly. It's going to it's not going to go well. There's going to be some problems. The Jews there in Jerusalem had retained their Jewish way of living, circumcision of their children, kosher eating, uh, cut on keeping the Sabbath day. Uh, no one forbid them to live that way, so many Jews had come to Christ and had just gone on living, living in that way. And so Acts 15, we're not going to go back and preach that, but Acts 15 really deals with how, how, to, how to deal with uh, believers who have differing opinions in, in this matter and acting out of deference towards one another in that way, especially across the cultural divides. And so... It wouldn't have been till much later 80 70 when the on um, temple was destroyed when much of that worship would have would have ceased so this was still ongoing even among the believing jews and so the problem that james pastor james the the pastor of the church that was gathering there at jerusalem he was facing he's looking out and he's realizing my flock is going to be really disturbed now paul's a good guy we praise the lord for what god's doing here but we're really going to have some problems here because Paul kind of carries some baggage and some, some uh, associations and some teaching they've heard about, they've been informed about, and it's going to be a problem. Now, I want us to realize Paul had done what the Lord had called him to do. In Acts 9 and verse number 15, the Lord had specifically told Ananias, when you go pray with Paul, this is the man I've chosen to, be, uh, to carry the gospel to the Gentiles. So he had done what he was supposed to do. This was God's call, specific call upon his life. James was doing what God had called him to do, to be the pastor of the church, the largely Jewish church at Jerusalem. So here's what I want us to really catch here in this this challenge. It is possible for believers with different giftings and different callings to look at a, a situation and have different perspectives. And for those different perspectives to rub. Now, here's the thing. Jesus wants us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He wants us to be concerned and deferential to one another. And friends, what I, what I rather than trying to pick sides here and say, well, Paul was right and James was wrong, or James was right and, 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 and Paul was wrong, I, I just think we need to understand Paul was called to the Gentiles. His focus was the Gentiles. He uh, was preaching the gospel to them. He was submerged in their culture when he was in, uh, in uh, Antioch, or not Antioch, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm forgetting the city, and he was there in Mars Hill. Uh, he, was, uh, he was there. He had submerged himself so much in the culture is he even quoting the poetry back to them. Uh, so here he is as an as a, as a individual. He's submerged in the ministry God had called him to. Now he comes back, and there's a little bit of whiplash. Oh, so these aren't as exciting stories to you. This is going to cause, uh, cause some struggles. Uh, I think about pastors and evangelists. I was talking to my friend Bobby Bosler this week when we were talking over this passage of Scripture, and, he, and I, was, I was talking through this, and he says, welcome to my world. You know, sometimes I come into a church, and uh, I have a perspective, and the pastor has a perspective, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, there's a, a differing of perspectives, not something that can't be uh, uh, worked through, but there's, there's a realizing I have to be deferential. So here's Paul coming into Jerusalem where James was working and toiling and serving the Lord and doing his job, doing what God had called him to do, and now Paul's presence was going to cause some issue. And I just want us to, to realize there are times, and even some of the challenges that face spiritual leaders, pastors, and so forth, there are times where it may not be readily apparent uh, why a person doesn't come, uh, come here or uh, why some, uh, some do. And, and there, there's a lot of inner workings that go on. I can think of times that I've chosen not to have good friends in the ministry come here and preach because it, their ministry has, uh, is not as spiritually beneficial to one or two in the flock. And so in order for me to be deferential to Grace Baptist Church, uh, men that have touched my life and, and, uh, and I believe would be a help to many, it might really hurt one or two. And so there's some things like that, that that just the reality of ministry and people work. And so we see that here. Even among you, each one of you have a spiritual gift, right? Right? Okay, we all have a spiritual gift. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit has given you a spiritual gift in which to operate within the body. Okay? Think about the gift of mercy. How many think you, you have the gift of mercy? Can I see your hands? You just kind of weep, your, your heart melts when you see a problem, all right? You're not so truth-based, uh, you don't neglect the truth, but when you see a problem or someone going through a hard time, your heart just kind of turns into a puddle. How many of you would say, I'm more exhortation or I'm more, I see it black and white, all right? I just see it black and white, it's right or wrong, all right? Uh, how many are, okay? See, all right. So you think about that gift in particular. Will perspectives ever rub in this church and in our assemblies and in the work of the ministry with those two giftings? Yep, they do. Well, I don't like the way he came off. He just said it like it was. That wasn't very kind. Well, sometimes the gift of exhortation, people have to work on that, work how they come off and work how they say things, speaking the truth in love. But you know what? Sometimes there can be rubs. Well, I just think that person is just letting things go. I think they're, they're you know, compromising and letting sin go, and that's not right. Uh, there's that gift of mercy that is there, crying with those that are crying, weeping with those that are weep, and they, they, they want to help a person, their heart's turning into a puddle. And so you think, about, you think about that, how even in our giftings within the body, that we can have differences of opinions and to show deference to one another in the midst of those. So there's a challenge that Paul's facing. We face that challenge in ministry, whether we fully realize it or not. I hope to expose that just by what I've, I, I've said. So there's a challenge that Paul's facing. What's Paul going to do? Huh. Listen, I'm the one that God has been using out there to preach to the Gentiles. You just like or lump it on, Paul, on uh, Pastor James. I'm just going to share. I'm going to show up at that meeting. We'll blow things wide open, and it'll just, it'll, you'll have to deal with it. No, he didn't have that brash, bold attitude. You know what he does next? He listens to the counsel of Pastor James. He listens to the counsel, the one that's been working there. And I notice in verses 23 through 27, they literally say, do therefore this that we say to thee. Well, I'm a man that God's been using. Why can't I make my own choices? No, Paul didn't do that. James says to him, I want you to do this. This is what I need you to do. The multitude is going to come together. The, um, the church is going to gather together. And here's, here's how I want you to go about this. What James suggested to him was I want you to go with four men from our church that have taken the Nazarite vow. The Nazarite vow is really uh, the, the core of it is just its separation of the Lord. They're not a Levite, not of those that are priests, but they're separating themselves to the Lord. They're abstaining, they're living priest like. And so the idea of the Nazarite vow uh, was that I'm separating myself to the Lord. Those who took a permanent vow like a Samson of the Old Testament did not cut their hair. But those that took a temporary vow like these men, at the end of their vow would shave their heads. Paul had done this once before coming out of uh, the, uh, the region of Achaia. And so he didn't just get a haircut, he, he, had, shaved, he had shaved his head because he had taken, he had taken this, um, this vow over there. And so uh, what James is saying, I want you to go with them to the temple, I want you to go through the days of purification, and I want you to actually pay for the the conclusion of their vows, which was a little bit costly, and also just highlights the fact that these these were poor saints, and so I want you to pay for the conclusion of these vows, the sacrifices, and all the the different fees that go along with that. I want you to pay for it, and then when word gets around, people are going to know Paul's okay. Some of the things we've heard is just hearsay, Paul's okay, and so... Paul goes along with them in this, and he goes to the temple, and on the seventh day at the end of the vow, there were some other sparks that happened. But I want you to notice that he heeded and received the counsel of James. He paid the charges, and the rabbis in that time would teach that there was great honor in paying for someone else's Nazarite vow. And so that's what Paul did. And I just notice here that Paul was continuing to live by a principle that we find in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse number 22, to the weak become I as weak. That i might gain the weak i am made all things to all men that i might by all means save some and where he could without sinning where he could he made the choice to be all things to all men that does not mean that does not mean that paul was compromising that he was uh, he was sending he had to walk some some lines and by the way we even have the completed word of god today we can look back and we can be pretty harsh on on the apostle paul or pastor james and 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 because we have the completed counsel of the word of god we need to be careful not to do that but his heart was i'm i'm going to show deference i'm going to show deference can i just really encourage us in this matter of showing deference of showing deference and being careful to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So Paul is going to show this deference. I think of uh, missionary Hudson Taylor. When he went to China, he went there from Europe, and he would wear his, he would wear his uh, uh, black, long clothes. Uh, and so he would go out, and he would preach, and he got kind of a cold, uh, cold welcome. And in fact, the Chinese individuals, as he would go out and preach, nicknamed him the Black Devil, he was bringing a contrary message, but he also did not look like them. And so he was really running up against it. He decided that he was to trade in his European clothes for the Chinese-style clothes, the baggy, the baggy pants, the hat, the, the so, on, so on of that day. And he was going to mesh with them. He was going to uh, be all things to the Chinese people where he could without, without sin. He wasn't violating modesty or any of that type of thing. He was just doing what he could. And so he did that. And uh, it was later told in about May of uh, 1855, he was preaching in and around uh, Shengshu, and his hearers understood his Chinese speech so well that they remarked this, the foreign devil language is almost the same as our own. So this guy had really so uh, melded himself into the culture of, of China that they accepted and heard and understood uh, Hudson Taylor's ministry and he was widely uh, a widely bust of God in, in that. And this was the heart of the Apostle Paul. So Paul demonstrated grace in not just listening to Pastor James and the elders there at the Church of Jerusalem. He also demonstrated grace by receiving the counsel that they, they had. Are you too big to get counsel from someone else even when you don't fully agree with them? I'm not talking about in areas where, where the word is clear about sin. I'm talking about in areas we can yield. Are you humble enough? Do you have grace? By the way, pride is the opposite of having grace. Are you, are you full of grace enough to receive counsel? Say, man, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm going to yield and show deference in this area. And that's what Paul, Paul did. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Okay, Pastor James, that's what I'll do. And so he faced this challenge. He receives his counsel. But I want you to notice verse 27 everything changes. The end of seven, uh, seven days were up, and he goes up to the temple to finalize this vow with these four men. The days of purification are up, and he's up there, and all of a sudden, a different group of Jewish individuals there in Jerusalem saw and spotted the Apostle Paul. These were not believing Jews. These were the Jews from Asia. And we find there in verse number 27, the Jews which were at Asia saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. Now, this wasn't just like laying hands like, bless you, Brother um, brother Paul, that wasn't the idea. They laid hands on him. They dug their nails in. I mean, they were after him. And, and so it was a very intense moment there as, as contention arose in the temple there with the apostle Paul. And they cried out, men of Israel, help, help. I mean, they were, they were set on, ga- on gathering a group. Now, these guys that were from Asia were, were likely the same guys that were a part of going city to city, Lystra to Iconium, to Derby, and stirring up problems in all those cities, so much so that Paul was stoned in Lystra, and he was left for dead. These were, the, these were likely the guys, or at least of their ilk. And so these guys were now celebrating in, in Jerusalem, see the Apostle Paul there, and they stir up all of Jerusalem, everyone there in the temple, uh, uh, against the Apostle Paul. And so there were some accusations that were made, but it was all based on the fact, Acts 4 and, um, 14 and verse number 19, it says that, that there had... There there, uh, these guys that were up in Jerusalem had um, been a, a part of, of stoning, but it was all based on this matter of, of envy. They, they, were, they did not like what the Apostle Paul was, uh, was teaching. And so some of these were probably the Jews from Ephesus area that recognized Trophimus and thought that he had brought Trophimus, a Gentile, into the temple, which was a no-go. We'll get to that in a moment. And, uh, and so these guys from Asia really just stirred things up there. Um, Notice in their accusation in verse number 28, crying out, uh, This man is a man that teacheth all men everywhere. Notice that. He teacheth all men everywhere. Now, that's a pretty bold and big statement. Uh, Jesus told us to go into all the world and preach the... Right? And here is his antagonists saying, He's gone everywhere teaching all men everywhere that's a pretty big statement. So he had been faithful, and what is happening now is not really believer to believer deference. What is happening now, and really shifted very quickly, was unbeliever uh, persecuting a believer, persecuting a, a gospel witness. That uh, We've all of a sudden shifted there in the temple. Uh, the, the, the plans of the uh, of the pastor, Pastor James, and the pastors there really got inside, uh, derailed as he goes there and now is spotted by these, these unbelieving Jews from Asia. And so uh, he, he is accused of teaching all men everywhere, what? Against the Jews. Basically what is being said here is he is teaching racism. He's teaching against the Jews. That's a highly volatile thing to say in our society, right? If you don't, if you don't agree with somebody right now, it's really gotten to the point where if you can just slap that on there, like then that's that's like a highest insult, right? I realize there is there is wrong that happens and people do not value one another, and that that is wrong, and is wrong, and is wrong, and is wrong, and there should be a whole lot of amens, right? I mean, they're just the reality. It's wrong, friends. It's so wrong. But listen, here, here's the fact. Hallelujah, amen, right? Aren't you grateful we can worship together and enjoy a life together? I mean, it's just such a wonderful thing. God created us. We, we're one blood. Uh, God has created us, and we're made in his image, and we look a little bit different. Okay, let's go on with it. But uh, you understand what is being levied against him is Paul is preaching against us as Jews. He is, a, he is a racist. He goes on. He's also preaching against the, the law of Moses. So he's saying, Ditch, the, uh, ditch the, uh, the, the, the laws, the ceremonial laws, and then this high insult, he's even preaching against the temple. I mean, and it just kind of keeps layering, all right? Do you get that feel? It's layering, but it doesn't stop there because they go, he isn't just teaching all men everywhere this stuff, but he's defiled our temple today. So likely, and the Bible says, verse 29, that they assume that he brought Trophimus into the temple now, give me, the, give me the picture of the temple so we can understand what's going on here. Uh, the, the temple had a surrounding part, Herod's temple, if you will, guys. Uh, Herod's temple had this part of where that large courtyard area, uh, which is the court of the Gentiles. So Trophimus would have been allowed out there. Any Gentiles would have um, been uh, allowed out, uh, out there. However, inside, uh, you see the gate beautiful at the front, where the man in uh, John, or, uh, Acts chapter 3, I believe it was, that was, was healed uh, right, uh, right there. So inside the temple, no, no Gentile was allowed. In fact, there was a sign outside of that part that basically said this, if you go in, your death is on you. You're responsible for the death. You're going to die nice and welcoming right uh, it was a no-go so just understand and would you guys advance that so we can see that they've actually uncovered this 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 uh, this sign uh, no foreigners may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and its enclosure anyone who's caught do on so doing will have himself to blame for his own ensuing death so you can see that the tensions between the Jews and the Gentiles were really, I mean, it was, it was there. And so they assumed, in their emotion, they assumed that Paul had brought Trophimus in. And so now this was a high insult. In fact, let's watch as it goes a little bit further and see, uh, see uh, what happens uh, as, they, as this happened. Um, I do want us to catch this, though. The accusations that are made against Paul right here are not true if you go back and study scripture, if you go back and study his ministry, he was not telling, uh, telling the Jews don't, don't follow after this. He, he did not push them away. He did not disparage undisparage. He did preach that Christ was the fulfillment or the end of the law for righteousness. And that is what we still preach today. You will not be in heaven by your good works. A Jew will not be in heaven by, by offering sacrifices. Christ is the fulfillment of the law for righteousness, the way into heaven is through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but my, by me. He was boldly preaching that, and by preaching that, they felt that that was incomplete. Uh, it was it was completely uh, against their religion, and and for them it, it really was. But it was the truth that divided uh, divided there, and so they had twisted his words. And I just want us to realize the accusations that were coming against Paul. We're unfounded, but I do want us to catch this, there are going to come accusations from an unbelieving, godless world, those that reject Jesus Christ. They, they will come against believers. And when they come, do we go, "Oh, I'm sorry, I back down, Or do we stick by the truth? Jesus told us in Matthew chapter five and verse number 11, "Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake." Jesus said blessed. Did they falsely accuse Jesus? Oh yes they did. Yes they did. In fact Jesus went on to say in Luke 6:26, woe to you, not blessed, woe to you if all men speak well of you. You got a problem if the whole world's at peace with you because the message that you're supposed to be bringing to them is diametrically opposed to their religions that are y'all come you, you, everyone's a child of God you all get to heaven it, it's diametrically opposed to the the religions of the world Jesus said it's a narrow way I am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father but by me yes it's a narrow way but it is the only way he is the only door into heaven do you believe that this morning he's the only door into heaven that's what the bible says and so as we understand that these accusations came against Paul and we ought not back away there, Friends, there's gonna be more accusations that come down the way. And we have become so politically sensitive in our day of political correctness that as soon as someone disagrees, we back away. Listen, you stick by the truth. That means your feet better be well anchored in the Word of God. You better know what it says. It's not enough in this day anymore just to have a Bible and say, I have a, a Bible. It's not enough to say, I have a King James Bible. Because some people will thump um, thump that and don't know what is inside of their King James Bible. It is enough in this day, get the word in your heart and allow the word to be a part of you. That's what Jesus said, or, or what Paul wrote down for the Ephesian believers, in the armor of God, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's a dagger. You need to have the very words the very words in your heart so you might use it skillfully in this culture it's a day to get into your into the book and so here we have this this contention that was arising but i want you to know there was a crowd here in verse 30 that that <laughs> moves in very quickly the idea of moving in was that it was stirred up emotionally so this was not a crowd that was thinking rationally anymore they were stirred up it was like my dad um my dad does bees and uh my dad is an apa. Also uh, works in apitherapy. He goes to bee conferences. I- if they're watching, my mom is a saint. She will attend bee conferences with my dad. Um, that's amazing. But but what's further? If my, my dad has arthritis and so forth, therapies where you actually use the bee sting to bring relief into into deal with and so my dad's like hey uh I, hey dad my my next my next hurt uh, i i can sting you no <laughs> not and so that that's kind of uh, that thing but i think about bees when they get they get wound up I can think back in uh, working with Brother Dennis and going to uh, homes, and I I can particularly remember a home where the bees had wound up inside. Some honeybees had wound up inside. They had to take off the side of the house and get them out. You you had to call a very, very special and brave person to do that. They come out and they suit up and so on. Some don't, And, uh, and it's pretty crazy, but they get wound up. So think about that picture, just wound up, emotionally wound up. That's what not just part of the city was, but all of the city was. We have these Jews from Asia stirring all this up. The only other place that this is used, this word moved, in Scripture, is used to describe the riot that happened in Ephesus. So it, it is, they're, they're wound up, and they run together. They hastily assemble. They gather in a quick rate. So sometimes people will wonder, well, how is that possible? Says all of, all of Jerusalem. Uh, you could actually ride a donkey around Jerusalem in an hour. So we think big cities. We couldn't do that here in Dayton. This was not a, an incredibly large, large city. So here it is. They're they're coming. Give us the south entrance of the uh, of the of the Temple Mount, if you will, uh, guys. You just understand that this was not a large area. They, and I want you to get the picture. They're they're descending. News is spreading fast. They're descending upon the south in, uh, uh, entrance, getting up there into the court of the Gentiles. And they are rushing in on this scene. So the whole city is out on it, and the situation is escalating. Paul's dragged out of the temple. So let's go back to that and and picture this. He's dragged out of the temple, likely out of the gate, beautiful. He is dragged out, and the Bible says that uh, they shut the gate of the on the gate on the gate uh, quickly. I mean, they shut it. It's likely the Levite priest uh, or the Levite police force that, that does this. And as they're dragging them out, verses 31 and 32, they sought to kill him. Do you agree this is escalating really, really quick? The chief captain, and I want us to notice back in this picture, I want us to notice uh, uh, the fortress back in the, uh, back in the, uh, the northwest corner of, of the temple um, complex. I want us to notice um, how that, th- that has those four towers, but that is where there would be, at this time, uh, historians believe at this time there would have been probably about a thousand soldiers held up in there. And there was a man who was over the soldiers. We find his name in, in chapter 23, Claudius uh, uh, Lysias. And uh, he was over a thousand soldiers. And it says in the scriptures that, that he brought the soldiers and centurions, so those that were captains over hundreds, he brought them down. So they came out of the, the, the fortress and came down into the temple area and they began to deal with the situation. So just imagine uh, uh, somewhere around 1,000 soldiers, maybe less, that were uh, coming into this situation. You have this hive of anger that's going on there all around. They don't know what's going on. They, I mean, it's just just chaos that is, that is going on down there. And, and the chief captain, Claudius, uh, comes down, and he commands Paul to be bound, not with one chain, but two chains. This guy, calls oh, this so much of a stir, he must be a really bad guy. This was against Roman law to have a stir like this. That's why over in Ephesus when we read about that stir, we find that they were afraid. The, the, the soldiers over there were afraid about that stir that it was going to get back up to the Roman, the Roman leaders. And so it was against uh, against the law. They literally bind him. They try to figure out. He tries to gather information. Who are you? What's going on? What, what caused all this? They couldn't even figure that out because of the chaos. They literally pick Paul up. The soldiers bear him. I want us to get that picture. The soldiers bear him up into the uh, into the fortress, and they're on the steps looking down uh, over the over the court of the Gentiles and all. And Paul asks a question, and we'll get to that in a moment. But it's really amazing how quickly this just went from bad to worse there in the temple complex. All because Paul was falsely accused of preaching the word of God in many Gentile lands. And I want us to, again, just grab a hold of this. These, these that had stirred this up were envious. According to Acts 13 and verse 45, they were envious of the success of the apostle Paul in the truth. And so they came against him. By the way, there's going to be times where th- those that are ungodly are either motivated by envy jealousy or other motives and they come against the people of god they come against the people of god and they they hate uh hate them or they persecute them and jesus forewarned this in john 15 verse 18 he said if the world hate you you know that it hated me before it hated you if ye were of the world if you were just one of the world the world would love his own the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, we're a called out assembly church, amen? Therefore the world hateth you. It's a problem when we do not see any response from the ungodly towards the church. When the church is so, when the followers of Jesus Christ have so blended in with the world and compromise. Now I'm talking, I'm not talking about changing the, um, the style of, of uh, you know, changing from European clothes to Chinese clothes. I'm, I'm talking about compromising convictions, the truth of God's word. It's a problem when we watered down the message so much that the world is okay. It's okay with the people of God. There's no, there's no, there's no distinction. Listen, we are a called out assembly. There is to be a distinction between the world and the church. There is a, to be a distinction between your life and the people you work with. And it ought to be evident in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. It ought to be in those areas. There ought to be a difference there, and they ought to see that. So Jesus said, they're going to hate you. Jesus told us, if we're not willing to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and, and follow him, uh, we can't be his disciples. He told us that. And I just want us to, to think about this. Jesus came to the, on the earth, the greatest person to ever walk the face of the earth, the God-man. He came to the earth, and he got a cross. Do we expect to follow him and just get compliments all day long? The world gave him a cross. His own. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Do we expect just to get applause and compliments? Friends, we have, really, we have really come so far away from what Scripture teaches us, what Jesus teaches us in our American mindset. We just want the applause. We want to please everyone. We want to get everyone's approval. Listen, the gospel does divide. The truth of the gospel does divide. How are we to speak the gospel? The truth in love. We're to uh, love our enemies. We're to care, uh, care for them. But we must remember that what is happening to Paul, Jesus forewarned, would happen. Now, I want us to see, and lastly, how was Paul's response to this? I can't believe you're doing this. Get these chains off of me, you dirty rascals. Well, that's sometimes how Christians talk back to the world. There's no, there's no sound of that. Sir, can I speak to everyone? I didn't know you could speak Greek. Aren't you that guy, that Egyptian, that led an uproar? No, I'm from Tarsus. Calm. So much so that Claudius allowed him to address the crowd, and we'll see that in chapter 22. And here's what we can learn from the life of the Apostle Paul facing this challenge. He he showed deference to Pastor James and the elders there and to the church of Jerusalem. He showed grace. But when it got down to the whole city being an uproar around the Apostle Paul, he showed grace there as well. And he showed calm and level-headedness. Who gave him that? Friends, that was God's working in his life. That was God's ability to to respond with grace and with calm. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. Paul had God's divine enablement to deal with a very chaotic environment with, with calm. And friends, you need that same grace as you go to work. And as you stand for your faith, you need that same grace in your family gatherings when your family ridicules you, when your family ridicules you for following the Lord Jesus Christ. You need that same composure. You need that same, uh, the the resistance of, I can't believe you're doing this, that, that kind of that murmuring and disputing disposition. Paul said this in Philippians. He said, do all things without murmuring and disputing. I wish Toby was in here. That's that's forever going to be locked in my mind, uh, Gregor's, as Toby's verse. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. But he says, why? That ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights. And then he goes on to say this, holding forth the word of light. If Paul had murmured, disputed, gotten angry towards Claudius and the soldiers that day, do you think that Claudius would have allowed him to preach a gospel message in the next chapter? No. Oh, how we need God's grace to respond to a hateful world. You've been watching? Do you know this morning while we sit here in freedom, 360 million, million believers around the world worship and share Christ in the face of persecution. I get Facebook updates from one of the guys in India and I'm just astounded. He has a microphone and a speaker and his sandals and he goes around city to city preaching the gospel and I know full well what he's doing is completely illegal. It's mind-blowing. Yet we sit in, in, in comfort we gather in comfort, not push back on. But friends, there is a tide that is shifting in America and I would be remiss as a pastor not to forewarn us as a flock. It's time. It's time to get these decisions made now. It's time to get in the word now. It's time to hide the word of God in your heart. You're gonna be coming up against situations where you're gonna need the same grace to have composure like the Apostle Paul. Not between believers, but between you and the ungodly. And this isn't us versus them. We want them. We want them to be saved. But friends, I'll tell you, we can blow it in a moment. When we lose our cool, they had lost their cool. Paul didn't. Now he's going to have a chance to speak to many. In chains, speak to many. Think about that. Think about that. To speak uh, to the crowd that angry people had gathered together for him for a platform for the gospel. What an amazing God we serve and how God can use us if we'll respond like the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told us in Mark 13 that we aren't need to think ahead what, we, what we'll say in those moments that the Holy Spirit, he promises that the Holy Spirit will, will, will absolutely give us what we need to say in those moments. So, we live in a day of increasing chaos. Nothing's new under the sun, Paul faced it. We're going to face it. We are seeing it. I don't know about you, I get alarmed by some of the things that I see around us. Okay, how are we going to face that chaos? How are we going to deal with perspective issues within the flock, among God's people, with grace, like the Apostle Paul, with humility, with deference? How are we going to deal with the chaos that's without, and the struggles, and, and sometimes the hatred? With grace with grace. Lord, help us to do that. And so would you bow with me this morning and let's ask the Lord to help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is so good. He's promised us His grace. We can come to the throne of grace at any time and ask for help in time of need. We can face anger and show love. Whether that's family, in the work, in the community, we can... Face anger and show love. We can face hate and give compassion. We can engage error with the truth. We can lift up Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can forgive sins. Preach a message through our life, through our lips. Give a message of hope when all around us people are falling apart. As you sit there in your seat this morning, I want to ask you, do you know that you're that you're born again this morning. Do you know that heaven is your home? Do you know that Jesus has saved you from your sins? You say, absolutely, I know, I have a Bible reason. There was a time in my life where I turned to Jesus Christ and placed faith in him alone for salvation. He saved me of all my sins. When I die, I will spend eternity in heaven. Could I see your hand? Would you, would you give, uh, give admission to that? I know for certain that I'm on my way to heaven. Amen, so many hands. That's great. I know I'm speaking to some that have not yet made that decision. And that's fine. We love you. I love you. Jesus loves you. My greatest prayer is that that God will help you to to understand and to realize the immense love of Jesus Christ for you. And I want to invite you at any point, we'd love to take the Bible with you today and show you from the Bible, answer more questions that you show you from the bible how you can know for certain you're on your way to heaven i will make that a specific goal today i I, i'd not eat lunch to spend that time with you but if that is something you've not yet settled today is the day of salvation don't wait till tomorrow you don't know that you have tomorrow today's the day i want to talk to all of us as believers those who have just raised their hand could you with certainty say this as a as a as a choice today and then I'm going to invite you to pray upon this I will when faced with differences of perspective because of calling or gifting among my fellow believers I will respond with grace and deference I'm asking God to enable me to do that I will respond with grace and deference How many of you would say that is my heart today I want to have that deference towards my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You'd raise your hand to God on that. I want to have that heart of deference. Amen. Amen. Let's let's model that even today as we go to lunch in a few moments. How many say, I will seek God's grace for that composure? I can't imagine being in the situation of the Apostle Paul, but I need that composure in the face of my family, my coworkers, in the face of ridicule or even persecution for my choices to follow Christ i need that grace and i'm calling on god today for that grace to have composure in those moments you'd say that's that's how god's working in my heart and i I raise my hand to that so I, i imagine behind your hands today there are some there there are some there's hurts there's there's struggles that you're going through and i want you to know if you'll go to the throne of grace god will give you grace divine enablement enablement beyond yours Let's stand to our feet and let's take time to pray all across the auditorium. Father, thank you for this good time that we've been able to be together. Now, I pray that we as your people would respond to your word. Those that don't know you yet would respond as well. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.